we speak a lot about God's grace, God's love, God's mercy. Um, but do we remember what it was? A lot of times, I, I think the first worship team that I was in, uh, they were all excited and they're just loving God. And they said, you know what, we should call our, t- our, our worship team First Love. I'm like, okay, that sounds kind of hippie-ish, but that's great. <laughs> but I never forgot. And when I remember, it, it, it just brings back memories to our first love. The love that Jesus Christ split, spilt on the cross for us. And ever so often, I'll just, you know, there's that song that just brings it back. And you got, uh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life That I would be set free Jesus, I sing For all that you've done For me When we pray, we're talking to the Lord. When we're singing, we're singing to our Lord. And we come here, congregate together, fellowship with each other. It's God's time to talk specifically to our hearts and our minds and our souls. And God just doesn't want it to sit there and marinate. God wants people to go. So without further ado, Brother Gentis. Is this on? All right, great. Well, it seems like we should uh, just take another moment and pray. <laughs> um, Jesus, thank you for... Um, all that you've done for us. Thank you for um, this day, this time. Thanks for those who uh, led us in worship today and how they, um, they love you. And it, uh, it dripped through today in a special way. And so, God, thank you so much for who you are and that you're great and that you're God. And today, as we uh, enter these moments, I pray that you'd, you'd meet us in a special way. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks uh, for inviting me back. Uh, thanks for not uh, calling me up this week and saying, no, I don't think we'll have you uh, come back. So last week we talked a little bit about uh, I was wearing my Encompass hat. And uh, another thing that kind of happened in your bulletin there uh, late, if you got one early, this probably didn't show up in there. But uh, from Encompass, we'd love uh, for you. We, we have a, a monthly kind of newsletter that we send out via email. Um, if you have your phone, you can just text within to 66866 and, uh, and get on that email list or uh, there's a, a, a web link that you can go to. We'd love for you to be part of that. Um, <clears throat> this prayer guide is out there also in, in the hallway and we'd love for you to have that. So uh, <clears throat> let me I'm going to ask you, who are your favorite Encompass missionaries? So 
this is a participation. Sorry, I'm standing behind that. So everybody's like, uh, Encompass Missionaries, who would be your favorites? You guys have three. I know that your favorites. Oh, the Pattons, the Odells and Patty Morris. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, my my privilege uh, to work alongside those guys. And uh, they um, are delighted about your church. And, um, you know, Wayne and Ellen were really glad to be here last week. And um, Patty's. Uh, sister got on a plane this week and came back here to Southern California, so Betsy made it back. Uh, so I know we prayed about that last week, and the Lord answered, and so I just wanted to let you know that. And uh, Cecil's back uh, as well, and so uh, but couldn't be here today. So um, I do want to uh, bring greetings from them. But last week we talked a little bit about we need new disciples and new churches everywhere. And, um, and so part of why we go and pray at the Double Tree. Um, this week, next week, is uh, is so that God will raise up new disciples, new followers of Jesus in this city, and uh, raise up new churches. Uh, we need new churches. We need churches for the languages of the world that have come here to our our world and uh, to our little corner of the world. The gospel compels us to be crossing cultures. Jesus came from heaven to us. He crossed the greatest culture ever. He left heaven and uh, and came here. And then uh, the least reached are waiting. And we talked about that. And that's one of the places that Encompass focuses. Uh, the least reached, that may be a weird uh, term to you, but it's, it's places in the world where there's little access to the gospel. Places in the world where they won't bump into a body of Christ, um, a Bible or maybe even a believer in their entire lives. And uh, it's hard to believe, it's hard to conceive that there are places like that in the world today, but there are. Uh, yesterday, uh, my wife and I had the privilege to go to, to a wedding of a Persian, uh, a Persian wedding. And so it was interesting um, in that the service was done in um, Arabic and also in English. And so, um, but there was a moment when uh, they talked about the divine messenger answering the prayer of the bride. Um, she, that uh, in the Quran it says that the divine messenger does that twice at the time when she's married and at the time when she has her first child. And so that's in the Quran. That's not in the Bible anywhere. Um, <clears throat> but that was uh, part of the time that they took and they said a prayer and uh, they invited um, her to pray in that moment. Um, you know, to have something to be answered. And I, in my own heart, began to pray that Isa, that's Jesus in Arabic, would, would show up in her, in her dream, in her moment there, that um, our friend would, uh, would know who Isa is uh, because he's the greatest. And um, there are many cultures where, um, you know, who, those who are involved with uh, the Islamic world, uh, most of them, Isa, Jesus is, is present in their book, <laughs> Uh, but knowing him as the Savior is not um, present yet. But we're, we're praying that more would go uh, to see the the folks who are uh, kind of trapped in that web uh, come to know who Isa is and uh, bow down and worship him. We're also praying for, you know, you guys support the, the Odell's and, and uh, Cecil's working in the Japanese and it's similar. Uh, we have, uh, I think I shared this last week, but um, in the fall as new Cal State Long Beach students come and uh, Cecil and the Japanese team in Long Beach receives them, most of them that come, if this is their first time coming to the United States, will have never met a Christian before in their entire lives. And so um, those places, those are the kinds of places. And France is similar to that. And, and uh, you know, on the Amazon, <laughs> they're similar to that. So thank you that you support missionaries who are taking it to the front edge, uh, to the least reached. And so I would just say that uh, from Encompass again. But I did uh, give you a little assignment um, last week. So if you were here last week, 
No excuse. No, I'm kidding. So we uh, we said we were going to talk about Titus. Now, uh, you guys love Patty. This uh, right near the chateau, there's the the chateau is in the middle of uh, kind of this little village of, uh, I don't know, maybe 50, 100 people live there. So it's way out in the boonies. But the city that's close to it is called Tournu. And uh, this sign, this there's a store in town named Titus. And I, when I was there in April, I was like, I got to take a picture of that because uh, I might be teaching on Titus sometime. Little did I know that would really happen. Um, and in uh, our church at Los Altos Grace, we actually uh, are, are doing Titus right now, too. So but it's a little book, but it's got some big lessons. Um, so I do want to do a little uh, interactive. Uh, did anybody uh, who read it, it, anything jump off at you? So uh, if, you, if you had the chance to read it, was there something there in Titus that jumped off at you? We're going to start there first, because I think that God was speaking to you guys, and he speaks through his word all week long. doesn't wait till Sunday morning at, you know, 1030, you know, or 1130 or whatever. So uh, anything that uh, jumped off at you? Yeah. Can I give you this? Okay. <laughs> so the first thing it said is that um, Paul is asking Titus to put the church in order. That's what jumped out. Yeah. Okay. Put the church in order. Yeah. Uh, anybody else? Yeah. Sure. The false teaching was coming with from within the church. Yeah. Okay. So the end of chapter one, we'll get into that. Anybody else? Something that? Uh, do you have something? No. Something you want to share? Uh oh. She was volunteering you. <laughs> That's cool. Um, well, here's here's what I titled uh, today's message, God doing good in an island man. So I think uh, Titus was left on that island and uh, we're going to get to know him a little bit more today. And uh, we're going to uh, see that he, he was left on an island. But uh, this book is really this letter is all about God and doing good. And so I want to invite you, if you're not at Titus yet, if you're already scrolling to see what jogged up in your memory, go ahead. And uh, we're not going to read the whole thing today, uh, but I want to, when I get boring, just go ahead and read there. That's fine. Um, you know, that that's uh, what it's there for. Um, but <clears throat> we are going to talk a little bit um, through the, kind of through the whole book. So at the very beginning, um, this is uh, kind of the introduction to the letter. And uh, this is where you can see it's really about God. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So this is his kind of what his title is. This is who Paul is. He's uh, a servant and an apostle. And his job is to further the faith of God's elect. That's God's people. That's those who are following him and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So Paul is a servant of God and he's serving God's people and he's trying to get them to be more like God. Okay, that's pretty simple, but that's why it's centered on God. (laughs) That's why this Paul is his life is centered on God and that's his job description. And now he says, in addition, that um, there's truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Now, you guys probably know that the Apostle Paul, he likes to write run on sentences. He's not a bullet point guy. He's a run on sentence guy. And so he's doing this as he starts to jot with his pen. He just keeps adding on phrase after phrase after phrase. And so uh, but God here does not lie. And he promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. And so Paul is all wrapped up in who God is, 
and that that God has called him and that God has set him on a path to help God's people to be more like God. And so through the letter, then that's that's what's going to, you know, how do you center on who God is and how do you become more like him? That's what the whole letter is about. And then he goes on and he says, yeah, this is to you, Titus. So after he did this really long job description and introduction to who he is and how he wants to keep it all centered on the Lord, he says, Titus, my true son in our common faith. Now, Titus, we're going to talk a little bit about him here. Um, he was not um, a Jew. He was not part of the nation of Israel. Titus was not. Uh, so he was an outsider to the faith in some ways in the in the first century there. He uh, we don't know exactly when Titus became a follower of Jesus, but we do know that kind of his first occurrence that we know of. He was a traveling companion with Paul to the Jerusalem council in uh, Acts chapter 15. Now, uh, that council was really, really important in the beginning in, in the early church. OK, in the in the first century, most of those who followed Jesus already had the background of being Jewish. They were already part of the family of Israel. And so they had a lot of background. They had all of the festivals and the feasts and they had all of that sort of stuff that led them to say, Jesus is the Messiah. But what about those who were outside of the nation of Israel? Why would they put their faith in this Jesus? Why would they say that he's their Messiah? Because they didn't have all that background. Well, Paul was uh, a learned Pharisee and he could um, he could present to the Jews what um, why their background led to Jesus being the Messiah and all that sort of stuff. But Paul ended up being uh, an apostle to the, the nations, to the Gentiles, not to the Jews. And so somewhere along the line, Paul and, and these guys began to contextualize the message for those who weren't Jewish. And, and Titus became a follower of Jesus because he said, that's my Messiah, too. I'm not an Israelite. I'm not someone from the people of God. But now I can be brought in to the people of God because of what Jesus did and that he paid for my sin. He overcame my shame and he brought me into his family. And so Titus hangs on to this and Titus becomes a follower and and becomes part of um, a leader already because he couldn't be part of Paul's team if he wasn't. Um, doing the stuff, right? Paul would kick people off of his team before, right? You guys remember that? Um, you know, so, so Paul was, you know, a go-getter and Titus had, had gotten there. And now when they go in this Acts 15 passage, this Jerusalem council was really, really important because at that council they were asking, how Jewish does someone have to be to follow Jesus? So how many festivals do they have to do? Do they have to keep the Sabbath like we do? Do they have to pray with their head covered? Do they have to do all the Jewish stuff? Or what's, what's the limitation there? And, what, and the council, there was a great debate, and, and it was, and it was um, one of the most intense times in church history because it was like, is this gospel, gospel going to be for all the nations or is it just going to be for everybody to become Jewish and then follow the Messiah? And at this council... It was decided through the Lord's work in the Holy Spirit and those who had gathered that you didn't have to become Jewish to become a follower of Jesus. You only there was a couple of requirements. Don't um, sacrifice, um, you know, don't the blood that was sacrificed to false idols and uh, flee sexual immorality and uh, one. And, and you don't have to be circumcised. So there was a few things that were like 
hey, you know, these these things, we've got to watch out for these things. But really, the the coast is clear for everyone who's not part of the of uh, the nation of Israel to be part of God's family. And so Titus was an outsider. And I wonder what he thought (laughs) as he comes to this council. He's traveling with Paul and they're going from city to city and they're seeing what God is doing in reaching out to people from the nations who aren't part of uh, the family of the nation of Israel. And they're and they're having an authentic relationship with Jesus. And he's coming to this council and he's wondering. And I think Titus is praying, God, help, you know, help us to to land in the right spot, the spot that you want for us. If I need to become Jewish, if I need to go through all of the things, if I need to be circumcised, if I need to, you know, practice all the Old Testament, I'm willing but God give us clarity, and so so Titus was in that moment with Paul, and uh, and and uh, and then after that, um, Titus traveled on some of the missionary journeys, and so what Titus began to see, um, he saw on the road. <laughs> he didn't just see it, um, you know, listening to a rabbi. He saw it with Paul on the road, and most of us learn better that way anyway. We learn by the doing, not just by the listening. <laughs> Sorry for the next. Ten minutes, um, but uh, but yeah. At at one point, then uh, Titus was so trusted by Paul that he uh, he took up an offering. There was a collection. Do you guys remember some of the story in the New Testament? There was a collection kind of taken up for uh, for different churches. When they found out that things were going on in other churches, they would take up a collection, an offering, and they would pull their money together and they would send it to a church. And Titus was one of those who carried an offering to Corinth. And in fact, in Corinth, he didn't just take the money there, but he actually was there to kind of set that house in order. Uh, if you know, um, I know I'm assuming you guys have a little bit of Bible knowledge, but First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, there was some crazy, crazy stuff going on in Corinth. And, uh, and so the, in those um, places, um, Titus really had to step in and, uh, and kind of clarify what was going on and what was God's truth and what to do. And then finally, kind of in the last assignment that we have up till now, um, he is left as an island man. He's left on the island of Crete to do that. So I want to, um, a couple comments that Paul makes about Titus, just to kind of put this, this is in 2 Corinthians. Um, Thanks be to God. There's God again, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you, the Corinthians. So Titus was he loved this church. He had visited it and he was he he loved it for Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. So Titus was a, a lover and he loved this church, even though they were a little crazy and he on his own initiative, it seems like from this that he said to Paul, hey, Paul, I'll go. I'll go. I want to go and bless them and help them. And we are sending him along with and we are sending along with him, along with Titus, the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service in the gospel. And then it says that he's uh, bringing an offering as well in that. But you can see Paul's uh, trust in Titus and you can see that Titus had a couple of things. He had a love for God. He had a heart that was similar to Paul's and he had enthusiasm and initiative. And that's what we like, don't we? Don't you like people that are enthusiastic and and initiate? Uh, sometimes we're like, oh, I wish someone would come say hi to me. Well, guess what? <laughs> we got to go say hi to someone else. Titus lived out that 
initiation. He, he had his own initiative and he was enthusiastic. So if you're uh, flipping to the back of your Bible, like, where are these places? I wanted to give you a little bit of a map here. Um, so this is the Mediterranean Sea. So it's not blown up. The, so we're down here. This is Jerusalem. Okay, so that's where, you know, the epicenter of everything, you know, for, for our faith is, right? And so um, Paul's journeys went all up through this area and then came back the first time. Second time, he kind of goes out that far. And uh, his third journey, he ends up way out here. But here's Corinth. So Corinth was a crazy city, um, a uh, kind of a, a sailor's town, if you will. And so the, it was it was a crazy place. And so if you if you don't know about that, that church very much, go ahead and read first and second Corinthians and you'll find out a lot about them. But this island right here is the island of Crete. Now, when we think about an island, we think of a pretty small place, but that's about one hundred and thirty miles long and about thirty miles wide. So um, when he left him on Crete, that was like a pretty good hunk of land that he was there to put the churches in order. And those churches probably um, they probably had house churches, churches that met in their homes because that's how they did it in the first century. And Titus was left there to help them. So those are the places just so you can kind of see that and where they're at. This is uh, from another uh, author, but this is uh, I think this is helpful. Titus was one of Paul's very dear and trusted friends. And the fact that he was chosen by the apostle to act as his delegate to Corinth to transact difficult and delicate work in the church there. And they he did this oftener than once. Now, that's old school. He did it more than once and did it thoroughly and successfully shows that Titus was not merely a good, but a most capable man, tactful and resourceful and skillful in handling of men and of affairs. And then he quotes this verse. This is from uh, a little bit later in the book of Second Corinthians. As for Titus, this is what Paul says. He is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. And so... Uh, Titus was beloved by Paul, and he showed initiative, enthusiasm, a love for God and a love for um, God's people. <clears throat> now, in the letter to Titus, um, there's kind of three chapters. I'm going to encourage you to read it again this week. OK, so it's not that long. You know, it's a maybe 20 minute read, <clears throat> so it doesn't take long at all. Um, but uh, chapter one is kind of like after he does that introduction and says, this is who I am, Paul. I'm all about God. Here you go, Titus. Then he jumps in almost right away to say your job, Titus, is to kind of help the church get into order. Okay, and so I know you guys are feeling that a little bit (laughs) in this season. And so this is not uh, hopefully this book is an encouragement to you that uh, guess what? It can still be God's church and it can be a little bit chaotic (laughs) at times. And uh, and God loves those churches and he sends really important people to those churches and uh, and. And uh, this beginning uh, passage talks about what good leaders are like, and he calls them elders. And he says, this is what an elder looks like. And um, it's all about character. It's not about how whiz-bang of a speaker he is. It's not all, uh, about any kind of, you know, how much money he gives. Does he handle his money well? That's part of it. Does he, you know, is he, is he, is he solid? Is he good? Is he concerned? Is he loving? Those are the things. It's character things that that Titus, that Paul is writing to Titus and says, look for these kinds of men because these are good leaders. 
And then the end of the chapter, he talks about the bad ones. <laughs> talks about that there are some false teachers who don't do any good and they are bad leaders. And you can tell it by the, their fruit. There is nothing good that comes out of them. And then in chapter two, he jumps into everyone in the church should do good to one another. If you're an old woman, a young woman, an old man, a young man, he gives directions to you, information for you on how you ought to live in the church, how you ought to live with one another, and that everyone in the church ought to do good to one another. So check that out. And then on in chapter three, um, he moves into be good to those on the island. Um, actually, in chapter two, one more thing that he says in there, he talks about slaves and he talks about how not only um, how they ought be in the workforce, <laughs> how they ought be, they ought not steal and they ought be centered on the good news. And we're going to look at that in one more second. Um, and then uh, chapter three is all about how do you be good to those outside of the church? How do you be good to those on the island of Crete? So uh, we talked at chapter two. This is kind of the center point of the whole book and um, and where I'd like to center us today. And um, this is Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that it offers salvation to all people. Now, Paul loves this because it's not just to the Jews. And Titus loves this news because it's not, you know, it's not keeping him out. This for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, even the people on this crazy island of Crete. When you read about um, this in the chapter one, he says there's a saying that one of their own poets says about um, Cretans. They're always liars, brutes and what's, what's the other one? It's the end of uh, lazy. They are lazy gluttons. They're brutes and they're and they're liars. I mean, that's how they're defined as an island. Like, how would you like? Oh, this is my people. We're lazy gluttons. <laughs> we're liars and, and we're brutes. Um, so. So Paul is giving to Titus confidence that there is this overwhelming, reckless love of God that we just sang about that is for this nation, this people, this island. So the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It's, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So this grace doesn't just sit on the shelf. This grace actually moves into our lives and actually helps us to say no to ungodliness. Remember, Paul wrote this book because he's following God for God's people to help them become godly. And so now he's saying the grace of God, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Now, this is a hard thing. There's no two ways about it. Yesterday, I screwed up big time. Say, I didn't say no to ungodliness. And I know that, you know, part of unearthing what all was going on behind my screw up was I got my eyes off of God and off of his grace. And I kind of had my eyes locked on me and what I wanted. And so guess what happens? <laughs> that leads to where my savior was me and I led to brokenness. OK. And to sin. And so I have to, you know, fortunately, the grace of God has appeared. <laughs> so today I can say, Jesus, forgive me. And guess what? He forgives. Right. Because if we say <laughs> if we ask. If we confess with our heart, confess with our mouth, 
then Jesus will forgive. First John tells us that. And so um, <clears throat> the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And the grace of God, it helps us say no, but it also says yes. It also says I can live like this. I can live what does it say? I can live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. In this present age, on an island. Okay, so island life, you know, we all kind of like that, right? I mean, you want to go to Hawaii. You want to go to the Keys. You want, I mean, they have a different style of life on islands, don't they? You know, it's laid back. Um, you know, maybe some bad things happen on islands. But he says, you can live the grace of God will help you live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age and on your present island, <laughs> on the island of Crete. Now, I think Crete was a little crazier than California. Some of you might not think so, but I think Crete was a, was a crazy, crazy place. And so he's giving hope that the grace of God can teach those who follow God how to say no and how to say yes. And then he gives us this. That not only is there the grace of God, but while we wait for the blessed hope, there is a blessed hope. So not only are we looking back towards the grace of God and what Jesus did on the cross, but we're looking forward to the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we uh, sometimes we need to do that, right? We need to look forward to what God is going to be like. That's why we got the end of the book. That's why we have Revelation, because we know what happens at the end. We can't wait to have that feast. We can't wait to sing worthy, 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 uh, holy, holy, holy. Sing to our Jesus. So we wait for the blessed hope who our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. So out of the chaos of Crete, there are going to be some people who come to know Jesus and he is going to make them a people for his very own. And they, as they embrace the grace of God, they can say no to ungodliness, yes to godliness, and they can look forward to that blessed hope. And they're going to be what? They're going to say yes because they're eager to do what is good. They're eager to do what is good. It's about God. It's about doing good and about an island man. So that's the center of the book. And if there's only one passage for you to memorize, that's a good consolidation of the gospel um, and uh, would really set you on the right path. I want to uh, close with two last verses in chapter 3. This is verse 8. And... Uh, Paul says, out of many sayings, this one is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So he says, a lot of times we're critical and we get our eyes on the no and on our own sin and on the stuff that's cruddy in our world and the Cretans and, and the liars and the, and the other stuff. But what he what he points Titus to and what he's pointing the church to is that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, doing what is good. We ought to be people who are marked by doing good. Now, I know in the church we often get a little weird when we start talking about doing good because people think that, well, then people will think it's by good works they get saved. We're not saying that. 
And Paul isn't saying that, right? He said it's the grace of God. But that that grace of God helps you to say no, and it helps you to say yes to doing good. It helps you say yes to doing good. So what is good? What does goodness look like? Like when you say, oh, that guy's a good man, or that that girl is a good girl, what... Talk to me. What, 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 what does it look like when someone's good? Fruits of the Spirit. Okay, kindness. What else? Humble. Someone say that. Um, what else? Being an example, right? What else? is When you say someone's good, what else does it? Trustworthy. Okay, good. What else? Likeable. Yeah, good people are likable, aren't they? And you can you can be likable as well. <laughs> you know, that's 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 important. Good. So uh, devote themselves to doing good. You know, good when you see it, <laughs> especially because you have the Holy Spirit in you. And guess what? When God prompts you to do something good, something for someone else and not for yourself, he's probably putting it there. And then this is a verse that we looked at last week. And I'll close with this. Titus chapter three and verse 14. Our people. So he's compelling um, Titus and the church there. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for the urgent needs and not to live unproductive or unfruitful lives. And so I, I want to, you know, say hinge your faith on the grace of God. Look to people like Titus, who is a great leader for us, and then set your mind, set your heart on allowing the grace of God to empower you to do good and be devoted to doing good. Let me pray for us today. Jesus, thank you that uh, your grace is enough, that uh, your grace doesn't call us to be Jewish, but your grace calls us to be like God. And your, your grace calls us in a way that uh, is, is set in time and history. And so we don't, have to, um, we don't have to debate whether Jesus rose from the dead or whether he really died on the cross. We know that in, in history that is really true. And so as we we know that your grace, which is given to us, gives us um, power to say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness and to being good. And so as we see this letter um, over and over, it says, be devoted to doing good. May we at uh, Norwalk Grace be devoted to doing good. May we be focused on doing good in all its forms so that we're kind and generous, likable, loving, generous, supportive, listening, honoring. May those things define who we are as followers of yours. In your name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>